0: And welcome to Why Choose Reads, where we say, why love one when you can love them all? I'm your host, Why Choose Romance author Sunny Hart, and I'm thrilled to be here today with fellow author E.J. Frost. Thank you so much for being here, E.J. Thank you. Absolutely. Welcome to the show. So we'll go ahead and get started for our listeners. So first off, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, I am a transplant to the United Kingdom. Ooh. And so a lot of what I write comes from my background being an American and living over there for 30 years and practicing as a lawyer there. And then moving to the UK, I moved for love I met a lovely British gentleman in in Boston where we lived and he wanted to be closer to his family as they were getting older. So we moved and we lived in Manchester and we've lived here now for 20 years. It is a lovely and pastoral place. We live at the bottom of of a farm and the little sheep are out right now. The little lambs uh, are out bounding around on the field behind our house and it's just a a very rural and just very lovely existence with a really good work-life balance and that's what I sort of motivated me to start writing the why choose romance that I write which is paranormal and I wanted people to feel a little bit of the magic that I feel living in northwest England uh surrounded by adorable names a rich history of fairies and magic um, and witchcraft. And I just wanted to give a little bit of that back to my readers. Um, And that's really what's the the easiest thing to glom onto about my writing and me. (laughs)
0: Well, I love that. That is such a beautiful love story and such, I mean, I think one we've all kind of imagined for ourselves. So it's so, so beautiful you get to live that. So did you start off writing Why Choose or did you write before it? No,
1: uh, I did not start off writing Why Choose at all. No, uh, I wrote uh, fantasy and science fiction until I was in sort of my mid thirties. And then I discovered romance and uh, fell in love with the genre and began writing, what would I call it Really? Daddy Kink, I guess, is the easiest
0: way <laughs> <point> to describe <laughs> yep.
1: it's Daddy Kink mysteries. Mm-hmm. So I have a real uh love for mysteries and suspense, thrillers, James Patterson's books I absolutely adore. So I wanted to write that, but I wanted to write it sexy. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a series called Daddy P. I and published those starting in sort of 2019. And wasn't really attracted to y choose until relatively recently when uh, some friends of ours uh, adopted a poly lifestyle and began talking to me about it. And I'd understood that in the past that they were swingers, Mm-hmm. I did know that they were had an open relationship in that regard, but I didn't really understand uh, what the ins and outs of, of a polyamorous lifestyle were. And talking to them, it really sounds great. I mean, first of all, anybody who has more than one adult to wash the dishes, <laughs> that I am completely supportive of that lifestyle, <laughs> may I just say. Yes. Um, and take care of kids and do the school run and all that kind of good stuff. Boy, does that sound good to me. But there were uh, a lot of tensions and anxieties, sort of exacerbation of in- insecurities that come out of the Pali lifestyle as well. And so I, I talked about it with them a lot, educated myself a little bit about it as well, and then began plugging that back um, into the books. It became a real interest uh, of mine. That. So yeah. I'm really happy to be able to write it. And I hope I'm writing it from a fairly authentic place. Yeah,
0: I love that. Yeah, I feel like, you know, for some of us, we do have those experiences, you know, in real life you know beforehand some of us are just have been readers of the genre so I, I love, love it hearing. which I also do I absolutely yeah. love it yeah so I love hearing all the stories there and the fact that you have you know because I know polyamorous people as well and you know it's it's a lot. Some in some ways, it like you said, there's that extra help for the housework or you know the laundry that I never seem to get folded ever. No, any type of you know the business days. Yep. Yeah. And so the pile lives in my closet floor. Um. But in some ways, it's you know you're balancing multiple relationships and there yeah. is that additional people to consider. And so yeah. yeah, so that's really interesting. So so you talk a little bit about the fantasy. Tell me about the books you're reading or you're writing right now. You know okay. what are kind of what series are you working on? What series do you have maybe coming up? What's kind of give me a little rundown.
1: Uh, My paranormal romance, uh, why choose is um, a series called Teddy's boys or the bad boys of Bevington. And it is all based on a magical college set in Western Massachusetts. And if you are familiar with Western Massachusetts, you may recognize the setting Williams. And uh, so very much based on my own experiences, living in Western mass, going to school there and, uh, I wanted to again give some of that magic back, but also give it in an academic setting, uh, which mm-hmm. is a familiar setting to me um, and one that I really deeply love. I have a serious love for learning, um, and the ideas of of building a you know a world around spells and t- learning about magic and and sort of building your repertoire feeds into the whole journey of power or journey to power trope. Mm -hmm. Um, which I love and really often expand on. I love my female characters to come into their power as they go through the books. And so that's really what uh, how Teddy's Boys came about. I wanted a female character, and it's an ode to Manchester, my adopted city, Manchester, England. Nice. So she is a Manc, okay, just what Manchester people, Mancunians, call themselves. She is transported to America uh, very much against her will by her family, who exiles her, to the U.S., to this magical college, Bevington College, uh, where she meets up with a boy that she's known from home, and then two other boys, one of whom is sort of her soulmate, and one of whom is very much an... Enemy for the first two books, and they eventually bring him into the fold as well. He's very much an antagonist uh, in the first and second book. And I really wanted uh, that series to have kind of youthful energy Mm -hmm. to it because that's how I feel about Manchester. Manchester is a brass city, as cities go. I've lived in a lot of cities, I lived in 11 states. Wow. So I've lived all over, and before I left the United States, and uh, I, I've seen a lot of different cities and I wanted to give people the sense of Manchester as a city which is kind of in your face Yeah. as a city mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very aggressive very entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and I really wanted to capture that sense in this character Teddy so Teddy is my ode to my adopted city and uh, then she's pushed over to the United States so that I was able mm-hmm. to give sort of a British person's point of view about the United States which some readers like and some readers uh, object I- too. They think that she's, she's very British and negative about the United States. Um, and then also have her interact with
0: these boys
1: as she journeys towards her power, um, as she expands her magical knowledge and her magical repertoire, uh, to become very powerful.
0: Wow. I love that. I love how place seems to be a really creative inspiration from you drawing from your own histories of living in these places. And also the perspective that place, you know, gives you travel is, I mean, travel is wildly. Inspiring. So I love that that shows up. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the characters. Like how, when you're thinking of books and, you know, how are you developing your characters? Where are you drawing those inspirations from? Are they pieces of you? Or are they pieces of other people? Tell me about that process. The characters speak to me and I'll fully
1: admit that in another life, I might've been schizophrenic and had lots of people in my ear talking to me about different things. So they definitely speak to me. Teddy came along very full-fledged. I knew her name from absolutely the beginning. Oh, hi. Um and always knew sort of how old I wanted her to be, what I wanted her background experience to be, how I wanted to be her to be sort of a hustler. Mm-hmm. Um really she has her own line of magical stones mm-hmm. that she is selling throughout the UK. And then she has the opportunity to expand that uh into the United States once she gets to Bevington. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted her to be a really entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And that is a combination of people that I know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and also sort of my hopes, I suppose, uh, yeah. for 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 young women who are in the area now and are sort of trying to figure out their future. Because um, I'm not I'm not a spring chicken <laughs> or myself. I have a 20-year-old daughter and I look at her and I see how difficult it is for women in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s to figure out a role in the world mm-hmm. that is not maybe suited to them. Yeah, uh, It's a world that still, I think, is very much geared towards men and yeah. uh, allowing men to have fulfilling careers. And it's still a sort of a place where women have to claw out mm-hmm. careers for themselves. And so I wanted Teddy to be a role model uh, for that yeah. as well. It yeah. actually came about. The boys that she loves are... They're always going to be inspired by my husband because he is my my soulmate. And so he inspires all of my heroes to some extent or another. But there was also a, a young gentleman that I dated uh while at school, who very much is the inspiration for Gabe, who is a cinnamon roll hero. <laughs> if there ever was one. He is a softie on the inside. What a sweetheart. And so that's that's an homage,
0: my friend from, from college. I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. The cinnamon roll ones, I've just been in a mood for cinnamon roll, you know, that cinnamon roll alpha. The type two or like that's you know hard domineering to the world but oh so sweet to that main character so I love that um many so many authors mention that sometimes their characters you know surprise when they're when they're writing has you know tell me a little bit if there's ever been a moment in your series where you know that your characters really surprised you in the direction that it turned um absolutely
1: I had set up a conflict between Teddy and one of the boys friends Mm -hmm. um a boy named Loyal, who is anything but loyal oh. he is a turncoat if there ever was one, but I hadn't really envisioned how that that turncoat moment was going to play out. Mm-hmm. And I was riding away and they're dancing. They're at a ball and they're dancing. And it's all going fine. And all of a sudden, Loyal walked up to Teddy and challenged her to a duel. That was completely unplanned. Uh, wow. I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've been watching too much historical romance. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, all of a sudden he's like, yeah, we're going to duel. And we're going to duel for your right to be involved with the the gentleman that she was involved with, Darwin, the the anti-hero and for your ability to enter fairy so if you lose the duel not only do you not get to date the boy that you've fallen in love with but you also don't get to come into the fairy kingdom of which he is part so this is sort of big stakes for Ah. her and i not i hadn't envisioned it to this point that i didn't even know how they were going to duel or where they were going to duel or you know what the duel was going to compose of. so i called my daughter who helps me stage a lot of the fight scenes she's a martial artist um i'm i'm a pathetic marth- martial artist. <laughs> She's actually a really impressive martial artist. Uh, I'm just old and tired, but uh, I, feel, during, I feel that. Uh, during COVID, uh, we had lockdowns in the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. where we weren't really allowed outside of our houses for about a year. Mm-hmm. And during that time, boy, did we have to entertain ourselves with whatever was at hand. Um, she had all of her uh, Muay Thai kickboxing equipment here oh. at the house, and so she and I used to go outside Side on decent days, of which there were not many, and and kickbox together. So I called her up and I said, "Well, <clears throat> you know how we had plotted all of those scenes out where where they were fighting. Well, there's another one. How do you feel about doing this one?" And so we did. We plotted it out over the phone, um, and. And I really liked how it worked out. I loved how the battle went. And she came up with a really fun idea about uh that's sort of based on throwing sand in your opponent's eyes, mm-hmm. uh, which you can't really do in Muay thai because you're strapped and you have gloves on. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly a, a street fighting technique. Yeah. Um, and so she came up with a sort of a magical spin on that. And I thought, yep, I like that. Um, and so sure enough, we went ahead and the, and I wrote the whole scene out and but bo- bo- boys in a surprise. The whole thing was a surprise and it added a lot of length to the book that I hadn't anticipated. I was releasing the book serially, so chapter by chapter. Okay. Um, first on vellum, and then into my own Patreon. Okay. And I thought, uh, fifty, you know, chapter fifty. I thought I was almost done, and then all of a sudden, I'm not anywhere near no close to <laughs> done. <laughs> I've got all these further chapters, and so I'm like, well, I'm really sorry, everybody, but that thing that you thought we going to end in October is now going to end at the end of
0: November. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. So it really blew <laughs> out the back of the of the book. By about 15,000 words. Wow. Yeah. It was was a lot. That's amazing. Yeah. there's Sometimes those books sneak up on you. They just pop up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember my first one I think was in the Unitam Realm series. I don't know, something like 75,000 words. Second ended up being 93. And third was 145 by the time it was all said and (laughs) done. I remember (laughs) looking at my editor and being like, I am so sorry. Sorry. So, yeah, sometimes they sneak up on you. But when, you know, when the characters call for it, that's that's where you got to go. You don't want to shortchange them. You know, some of
1: these characters, this character had been in a lot of scenes through the books, but it never had a moment in the spotlight. And I was like, you know, if I if I don't do this scene, then a Teddy's sort of win of the of the antihero feels a little hollow. Yes, they've had they've striven and they've they've had a lot of obstacles they've overcome. She's never actually fought for him. And I liked that element of it. So I was like, right, let's have her fight for him in a very literal sense. And then the other thing was that this character, Loyal, had never had a moment in the sun. Yeah. I thought, yeah, let's give him
0: a moment in the sun. It doesn't last very long. He doesn't do very well, but
1: (laughs) let's give him a moment to try to shine.
0: Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Well, I'm having such a fun time with EJ. However, we're going to take a short break for a few advertisements, but do not tune out just yet. These ads are for exclusively more Why Choose Reads, and you won't want to miss them. So we'll be back after a short break. Hey there, listeners. Check out Meddling with Madness by Ivy Cole, an Alice in Wonderland retelling where the descendants of Alice are cursed with nightmares of Wonderland. But Allie is different. Her name may be Alice, but she doesn't go crazy like the other women in her family. No, instead she embraces the madness all the way to Wonderland itself, where she finds her seven males. Join Alice in her adventure into madness and become mad yourself, because all the best people are, didn't you know? Again, that's Meddling with Madness by Ivy Cole. And back to the show. And now we're back with EJ. So we won't make you wait, listeners. So let's go ahead and dive back in. I want to pivot us a little bit just to talk a little bit more about your writing process. So, you know, when you... Tell us a little bit about from when you go from book idea to how you sit down to write. Do you have a routine you like? Tell, tell us all about that. I am what's called a
1: plotter. So we're plotters and pantsers. Pantsers write from the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, plotters figure out the whole book in advance. And so I'm a psychotic plotter. I use a variety of software, including OneNote and Scrivener, to put together sort of my, my book Bible for each book. And then I have a series Bible as well. My book Bibles usually stretch somewhere between 15 and 35 pages. And the series Bible can be twice as big as that because it incorporates bits from the book Bible, but also things that I need to know as the series progresses. I usually write in threes. I believe three is a magical number. Uh-huh. And so I usually write trilogies, but I can be convinced to write standalones and duets as well. Uh, but so Teddy's Boys was a trilogy. And then there's a spinoff book called Capricorn, which is a standalone and now a coming duet, Elune's Daughter and Keith Moore's Sons, which are all part of the same sort of. A continuous series about Beddington College and the people there, but it, three is always going to be sort of my target number. Mm-hmm. When I read the book. So, from idea, when Teddy announced herself and decided that she wanted to tell me her story, the kernel of the idea there was found family, okay. uh, the theme that I come back to again and again and again, uh, very important to me. And then also finding a new home, which is a big theme for Teddy. She loses. Um, She's estranged from her parents, so she loses her physical home uh, at the beginning of the books and also it, sort of her mental space of home. She and her father finally duke it out, and she has no family to go back to. She literally severs the blood bond between herself and her family members. So she's looking for a new home, and that was the kernel of the idea for the series, how she, A, comes to into her power, and B, finds a new family and a new home. And so from that, I began writing out scenes as they occurred to me. There were a lot of pivotal scenes. The first scene where she meets the boy who's sort of her insta-love, the cinnamon roll hero. Uh, her scenes with her friend who she's reunited with, who eventually becomes a lover, part of the reverse harem. Um, and then the initial scenes with um, antagonist, Darwin. Uh, snark is the love language of all my <laughs> characters anyway, but particularly this trio. <laughs> And so the snarky scenes, the snarky banter back and forth is something I almost always write out first. Okay. Um, that also, I mean, I usually think about in the shower because yes. that's a convenient place to write out your ideas. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> i this on a previous episode, but, you know, listeners, if you have an author in your life, the best gift is one of those shower note things. It really is. sit there and finally get it all out of our heads. <laughs> it really is absolutely the best thing. Um,
1: I tend to carry my phone around uh, with yep. <laughs> me uh, when I'm in the planning stage of a book and, and I record voice notes to myself that I then transcribe uh, later. Um, and then once I've got sort of the outline, the skeleton uh, of the story down, I'll write the first scene mm-hmm. and the last scene so that I know where I'm starting and then where I'm ending.
0: Yeah
1: they can change, mm-hmm. you know, but they're not set in stone. Um, I'm drafting a book.
0: i'm I'm not uh, carving the Rosetta tablet. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's such a good way of looking at it. I'm drafting a <laughs> book. I'm not carving the Rosetta tablet flexible. yeah, flexible here. I usually write the first and the last. Um, And
1: then begin stringing pearls. So it's not necessarily every scene in order strictly, literally, but it's pretty close. And in particular, I have trained myself now not to skip the hard scenes. Those for me will always be sex scenes. I really struggle with sex scenes, which is ridiculous for a romance writer, but that's the truth. (laughs) Um, So I always struggle with sex scenes. And then I also struggle with bridge scenes. So big plot point to big plot point, there are probably a scene or two in the middle between the big plot points. Consider those to be bridge scenes, and I think that they can be really boring if you're not careful. I revere a, a writer, a mystery writer, British mystery writer, called C.J. Sansom, And he writes the Matthew Shardlake books, um, which are phenomenal. I highly recommend them. And uh, when I was reading Darkfire, I realized that he was writing a bridge scene, big plot point where Shardlake uh, meets Henry VIII, to big plot point where he's tortured, big plot points. Then there's a literal bridge scene where he's riding a horse over a bridge. Hmm. And I thought, you know, this could have been a really boring scene. He's just moving from point A, point a to point B. But... Sansa manages to shove so much characterization and so much British history into that scene about London Bridge and the smells of it and the feel of the clunk of the horse as he gets closer and closer to the Tower of London where he's going to be tortured and the dread that builds in this character and how it affects him physically. It's phenomenal. It was phenomenal world building. It was phenomenal character building. And it it took what could have been a really dull scene where he's simply moving through space into something that was absolutely next level. And I thought, wow, that's the way I want to write. I really want to write with that level of power. And so I'm very focused on those sorts of scenes. Big plot points are not hard to write. Usually they're very exciting.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, you can kind of pound those down, but bridge scenes where you're moving from plot point to plot point can be really dull. Um, And so that's often my focus. And I force myself to write those in a linear fashion, not skip them and go back to them, because I've been guilty of that in the past. (laughs) And that's how you have an unfinished book. Yes. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: so really try not to do that anymore. Um, I actually got stuck on a book a couple years ago and it sat for almost a year. Oh, wow. I was two thirds of the way through it. I got stuck on a sex scene. I could not figure out how to do it. And I left it and I moved on and I began writing the sort of the last two thirds of the book. The tone wasn't right. I knew it when I was writing it. And I just, it just fell apart. And the book sat for a very long time before I picked it back up and said, you know, I need to get rid of all of this. Go back to the sex scene that I didn't write because I didn't know where it was going. Write that sex scene and then write the second, you know, two thirds of the book, the last two thirds of the book. And it worked out really well. And I'm actually incredibly proud of that book still. I think it's one of my better books, but it got stuck on a scene. And if I had been writing linearly, scene to scene to scene to scene, I would not have gotten stuck, I don't think. So I've really disciplined myself to do that now. I, I don't skip scenes anymore, even though they they can be really challenging <laughs> to write. <laughs>
0: Yes. Oh f- yes. There's There's that. I I hear you on the first I've I've talked about this in a podcast I've been on with a friend before, but you know, my my Unity in Realm series is a slow burn. And the second book is when I needed to include the sex scenes and I actually wrote the whole book and forgot to include the sex scenes right. and had to go back and add them in afterwards. So so I hear you. For some reason, I always end up writing them in public places, too. Oh, great. The that airplane, awesome. the coffee table or the coffee shop, you know, it's always a public place. Always a public place. <laughs> it's Usually with so someone lovely. looking over your shoulder going... What? What are you doing? One of them I was sandwiched between these two business guys on an airplane. <laughs> Forevermore, I only sit in aisles now because I was just like, this is but I was on a deadline and I I had to write it. Gotta do what you gotta do. That's like one
1: of those moments where you're just wishing that you had like some folding screen that you could
0: put her on the edges of your computer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the privacy screen on the laptop that I really I should totally know that feeling. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> know that feeling. Yeah, I really need to invest in that privacy screen for sure because less so you talked a little bit about your creative inspiration from places um is there anything else you do maybe when the well is feeling a little dry you know is there anything else you do that kind of fills you back up i'm a big fan of filling the well i believe in that i've been taking
1: masterclass classes through masterclass uh, i think it's dot not sure but i've been watching both neil gaiman and dan brown's masterclasses and they talk all the time about filling the well and how important it is to get out and have real life experiences not just in the places that you're writing, which I think are really important, but also just in the world where you can experience human beings whom you might be hiding from as an author <laughs> um, or, you know, it, uh, places that you might not ordinarily see. So I usually plan a, an outing every weekend. Okay. And I go to as challenging a place as I can without throwing myself off of a a transom, off of a bridge or something crazy like that. (laughs) So I put up a video not too long ago where I'd gone to a market hunting for vegans. I am eating plant-based these days. And I went to this market because it was advertised as a vegan market. But boy, was there a lack of vegans. So there was a huge food stall selling fish and meat. And by huge, I mean probably a warehouse-sized building Wow, no vegans in there. And then I went out into the courtyard and there was a big sign that said we don't do vegans. Uh, so anti-vegans roaming around there. Um, but I did finally find tucked into the back of this open-air market these four little stalls where there were a bunch of people selling vegan products. Oh my. So, God. I had a lovely time talking to all of them, and I bought one guy's iced tea. I'm not really clear on why tea wouldn't be vegan, but his tea was advertised as vegan tea. And then there was vegan cheese, and then there was a lady selling vegan cupcakes, which I would have bought, except that the heavens absolutely opened on us, as they do in Northwest England often, and we were (laughs) deluged. It was... (laughs) Absolutely pelting it down. And I thought, I'm sorry, lady, but I just don't like your cupcakes enough to wait this out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so I left. But I had a great day. I had a really great time roaming around this market trying to find the vegans. And it became a little mini travel vlog <laughs> that I posted in a couple of places and got a kick out of. But that's the kind of stuff I do to go and rebuild the well. I go to places that are a little bit challenging uh, with an objective usually. And there's a lot of people watching opportunities and maybe an opportunity to eat something yummy as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What an adventure, you know, what an adventure that can maybe one day pop up in a book somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that market is definitely going to, it
1: could be a goblin market by the time I'm done with it, but it, <laughs> it definitely is going to be a market. The book
0: I love important. that. I love that. Um, so we we're coming up on the end of the time, but I want to make sure that our listeners know how to connect with you. So tell us a little bit about You know, where they can find you. Are you attending any book conferences? Um, this episode should come out around October, early October. So if you're attending any book signings or just how can they connect? Um, I'm in the UK, so I'm slightly difficult to find.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, but uh you can always find me. I'm wide with this series, so you can find me on Amazon, on uh Barnes and Noble, Kobo, all of the major platforms. I have a Patreon as Mm -hmm. well, so they can come in and discover me on Patreon. I have um a two dollar tier. Um so you can get access to a lot of stories that way Um, and certainly news on what's going on with me. I have a Facebook reader group, so you can always find me there. And as for signings, um, I just did one a little while ago. I had an absolute blast um, in Sheffield uh, at the... uh, I'm not even sure what it was called. I think it was called Sugar and Spice in Sheffield. We had a great day there. I learned that you can um, certainly wear wild and crazy outfits to British uh, author signings without being drawn and quartered. And so fully anticipate that I will be cosplaying something at my next author signing. But I think the next one is Authors Behind Bars uh, in May of next year. Okay. I don't okay. think there's a lot going on this year as we're getting now into the colder, well, wetter, certainly, but probably also colder months. So I don't think there's much going on until the spring, but I'm really looking forward to that. I, I had a great time at that signing.
0: Perfect. Perfect. And do you have a Facebook reader group as well? I do.
1: I do have a Facebook reader group, EJ's Angels and Demons. It is private. I have vulnerable individuals in my Facebook reader group. So you do have to apply to me uh to I will gatekeep you into <laughs> the group. <laughs> that is
0: all right. That is all right. For our listeners, all of these links are going to be in the show notes. So don't worry about trying to frantically write anything like that down. We will include all of these links to the show notes. I do have one last question for you. And I just uh you sent over your bio and on the very last thing you said bring cake. So what okay. is your favorite type of cake? the veganism <laughs> thing has has had some impact with that so
1: you it used to be red velvet cake, but it turns out that red velvet cake has dairy and all kinds of things that I don't uh. eat anymore in it. And so at the moment, at the moment, I'm going to say um, a lemon chiffon cake that is made without eggs. Those are coming out actually sort of in grocery stores now. They're they're easier to find. Being plant-based in the UK isn't the easiest thing in the world. Uh, it's not like being in New York or Los Angeles. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we're seeing some nice lemon cakes. Awesome.
0: in Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much, EJ, for being here. I've had just a blast talking to you. It's been so neat to hear all of your stories. So Thank you. So, awesome. So thanks so much to our listeners for listening and supporting our podcast. If you are dying for more EJ Frost content, definitely head on over to our Patreon for our exclusive behind the scenes questions. You can either find the link to our Patreon in the show notes or at patreon.com backslash podcast. See you next time.